Hi, I'm Nick Stevenson, co-host of the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit podcast. On average, 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the U.S. That means by the time this podcast is done, over 2,100 people will have been subject to domestic abuse by their partner. That equates to over 10 million women and men in the course of a year. One in three female murder victims and one in 20 male murder victims are killed by intimate partners. Domestic abuse is not to be taken lightly or simply dismissed as a mistake. If you or someone you know is being abused by an intimate partner and don't know where to begin to get help, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. It could mean saving your life or the life of someone you love. And now, we bring you Bruised, Not Broken, an interview with Caitlin. Thank you. to the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit Podcast. What smells so bad? It's strong, but you'll get used to it. Now here's your hosts, Nick Stevenson yeah, and buddy. Chris Clark. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whatever time of day it is, wherever you may be listening in the world. Welcome to episode 16 of the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit podcast. As always, my name is Nick Stevenson, and you know the deal by now. Christopher Clark is on the telephone. We're still social distancing. How's it going, fella? <laughs> What's up, my brother? Oh, man, it's it's going, man. These these four walls are creeping in, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Dude, you ain't playing, man. It's, it, it's getting a little tense. Uh, we have a very special guest joining us all the way from Florida. Caitlin, how are you doing? Pretty good. I uh, I hope you haven't heard too much of the, the mess that we give Florida on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, we are fans of Florida and the entertainment that they provide. And I'm actually there you go. <laughs> I'm actually hoping that maybe this interview can expand our reach in Florida a little bit. We love you guys, despite all the stereotypes and everything. You grew up in Florida. You were here for a little while. And this is where the majority of your experience that we're going to be talking about takes place correct yep okay so we brought you on because you have a story of surviving domestic abuse and i want to make sure that we emphasize that more than anything you are not a victim you are a survivor i'll tell you how i i ran into caitlin chris uh as you know we've been trying to expand our social media presence and i'm kind of scrolling through on a regular basis looking for interesting conversations Normally, if I'm scrolling through and I see that somebody's written a post that's the equivalent to the length of the Bible, I'll just keep scrolling, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <of> course. <laughs> but I saw this really long post. I was like, what the heck? I'm normally seeing memes and other things that are insignificant. So I'm like, this person clearly has something that they feel is important. They want to say, let's take a look. It was Caitlin's post and she was going on about her experience surviving domestic abuse. She wasn't really going to, into very much detail. It was kind of vague, but you could understand like that she had a story to tell. And yeah. so I reached out to her and I asked, hey, really been wanting to get somebody to talk about this subject. How would you feel about coming on and telling your story? And thankfully, she agreed and she's here. Uh, what I want to ask you, Caitlin, is because you told us that this is a story that for the most part you have not told. Is that correct? 
Yeah, uh, just mostly, you know, close family and friends know all the ins and outs of the story. But for the most part, uh, the majority of the people that I know and in my social media following don't really know the full story, just that this is something I went through. Why is it important for you to feel like now's the time to go ahead and tell this story? I think enough time has passed where I'm comfortable discussing it because I know for a fact that there's other women and men that go through the same thing. Um, And I think it's really important to let people know that they can leave and they can get out of this um, and that this is something that you can survive, but also at the same time to let them know that they're not alone. Right. And that's really important. When I saw that you were ready to tell your story, I feel like we're on the same page there. I think it can also be somewhat therapeutic for yourself, though, if you would agree with that. Finally being able to say, this is my truth. And so if we can have a twofold purpose here where you're taking a very large step in the process of your healing, as well as helping someone else. I mean, I felt the need to take that opportunity and run with it. And I'm like I said, we're very thankful that you've chosen us. Uh, to tell your story. We absolutely are. So, I'm thankful you reached out to me about it. Like I said before, this is your story. You tell it. I'm going to ask a few questions and just try to guide the conversation. I'll, I, some of these questions I've asked you before, some of them I have not, and I don't know the answer to, so I'll be learning along with our audience. But you're in control of this thing. As we said before, anything we ask that you're not comfortable answering, you don't have to answer it. We'll just move on to the next one. The first question you might not want to answer is, may I ask how old you are? I am 27 years old. 27 years old. When did you move to Texas? I moved to Texas in the summer of 2009, two months before I turned 17. Okay. What was life like growing up as a young child? I mean, my parents argued a lot. There was a lot of domestic violence in my childhood, um, mostly between my parents. Mm -hmm. Lots of arguing. Cops called to the house a few times. So... This was something that I had been exposed to since a very young age. Do you remember the earliest accounting of when you saw your parents fight with each other? How old you were? Um, Probably six or seven years old that I can recall. Everything that you had witnessed going on in the home, I want to ask you, how do you feel like that shaped or affected your view on relationships that you had? I think it gave me sort of an unrealistic view on relationships that kind of the, the push me, pull me, um, you know, volatile relationships are what represent love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just definitely affected the types of guys that I picked. Did witnessing that make you feel like, you know, when I get my own relationship, it's not going to be like that. Or like you said, was it more so, acceptable that that's what relationships are supposed to look like. Was there ever a hint of that? Like when I have a boyfriend, Um, he's not going to do me like that. Consciously. I was, I was trying to avoid things like that, but I think subconsciously, you know, the way that your brain develops, um, especially at a young age, seeing something like that. I think that that part in the back of my head kind of made more of the decisions for me. Right. And that and my the way that I, I picked people and, and characteristics that I looked for and then I think was a little skewed. Okay. Let's let's get into that. You said that you picked the wrong people for you 
Um, what were some of the problems that you were having in your relationships early on? They would just um, talk down to me, um, kind of verbally and mentally abusive. But those earlier relationships, they were never physically violent towards me. It was just a lot of mind games and mm -hmm. immaturity. How did that affect the way that you viewed yourself? Oh, it gave me terrible self-esteem. Um, it, I felt like there was something wrong with me mm -hmm. as a person instead of the types of men that I was gravitating towards. Gotcha. Wow. That probably made you more susceptible to keep gravitating towards those type of people. Would you agree oh, with yeah. that? Yeah. What are some of the things that they would say to tear you down mentally to make you feel bad about yourself? If you don't mind getting into that. Yeah, they would talk down about my appearance. Um, they would, you know, if, if a guy lies to you or something and, and you try to call them out, then suddenly you're crazy and you have issues. Um, but a lot of it was them kind of planting insecurity in my mind, mostly with other women or, like I said, my appearance or something. Right. And so whenever they would do that, did you ever get the feeling like you wanted to leave them? I think more than anything, I was the type that would try to fix the relationship no matter what. And right. because I had been convinced it was my fault, it felt like it was my responsibility to fix it. Wow. That's crazy. So yeah, it is. <laughs> they're tearing you down mentally, making you feel like it's your fault. I'm sure that there had to be moments that you were staying because you felt like these people loved you. So yeah. what are the things that they did that made you feel like they loved you? They would, you know, buy me gifts here and there, or we would go out on a nice date night, or they would tell me they loved me, you know, and say nice things, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Did that generally happen if they got the sense that maybe you were going to leave? Sometimes, yes. Okay. Or it could have just been sporadic, which would probably be hard for you to keep up with. So. Yeah, sometimes it was sporadic. Did you end those relationships? They usually ended with them breaking up with me. I've only ever broken up with maybe two guys ever. When they broke up with you, how did you feel? Completely devastated every single time. Regardless of how they had treated you prior to that? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. When you think about it now, what are some of the red flags that you would say you didn't see then? But if you saw them today, you would recognize. Probably just lying about the smallest things, things that are pretty trivial. I personally think a red flag is when a guy comes in and tries to sweep you off your feet right away. I've learned in my personal experience that it is not always genuine and they typically use that as a manipulation tactic. Those are probably the two main things that, that I've learned looking back. So at some point... Did you meet someone who came in and swept you off your feet? I did. <laughs> okay. And at the time, that was not a red flag for you. This was a contrast to everything you had been dealing with prior. So. Yeah. And this is the person who ended up becoming your abuser, correct? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you tell us first how you met him? I was working at a hair salon um, as a hairstylist and. Um, that particular salon that I worked at, we did not take appointments. It was, you know, you walk in, they get signed into the system. Um, whoever is done with a haircut first takes the next person from the system. 
And by chance, I happened to be the next person, and he sat in my chair for a haircut. Um, the conversation went pretty well. He was kind of nervous when we were talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I can pretty much talk to anybody. It was just another day at work for me. Right. And when he left after his haircut, I got a friend request from him on Facebook um, because we have our cosmetology licenses up at our stations. And mine has my first, middle, and last name on it. So he wow. saw my name and then looked me up on Facebook. Okay. And we talked through Facebook a little bit, talked through Snapchat, and that's, that's how we started talking. What year would you say this was when this happened? This was the end of 2015. 2015. Okay. And you got no creepy vibes that he looked you up? On Facebook, from that's your what I, that's what I was, <laughs> I was I was about to jump in and ask this. Go ahead. Like I, that's... I was a little creeped out, but I mean, we lived in a small town, right. so I I knew a lot of people, and we had mutual friends on Facebook, so right. I, I didn't really think too much of it. Did you um, know who he was right away? Oh yeah, yeah, because he. <laughs> He posted a public picture of the haircut I had just given him uh, and said, hey, I got a haircut. And I commented on it, and I was like, hey, nice haircut. So, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's not anything too uncommon about that, I guess. I was just curious because um, I didn't know if you had given him your name in the initial conversation or if he went and looked it up later. My license was right in his face. You know, okay. it's right there, big letters. <laughs> okay. Were you flattered by the fact that he looked you up? I was at that time, yeah. Okay. How long were you guys talking before, you know, you guys end up in what you would call a relationship? Uh, just a little over two months, I would say. Okay. How was he early in the beginning? He was great. Um, we talked all the time. You know, he was great at communication. Early on, I was able to confide in him with some things that had been going on in my life. And I'm bringing it up because it's relevant to several other parts of the story. Probably about a month before I met him at work, I had just been diagnosed with HSV2. So um, I was feeling pretty bad about myself and was really depressed. My doctor had put me on an antidepressant at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I met him, that was something I opened up to him about. He was super accepting and was someone that I could really confide in and talk to, um, which in general is an important thing to me in any kind of relationship, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship. Right. Um, we hung out all the time at my apartment. Um, you know, it, he was just super nice. Yeah. This might sound like a weird question. Yeah. Were you single at the time that you met him? Yes. Okay. Do you know how long you'd been single? Um, I was single. Well, I was single probably for about a month by okay. the time I met him. Because I was going to ask you, you, you kind of read my mind, what your level of self-esteem was around the time that you met him. So obviously you get this disappointing diagnosis. Um, I think you mentioned to me that you had contracted that from a ex who was not honest with you about things. So yes. that's got to be pretty devastating. So along comes someone that you're comfortable telling him these things. And did it really affect the way he treated you after you confided in him about this? Not at all. It seemed like um, he, it brought him closer, him and I closer together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something about sharing 
a secret with somebody and then you kind of feel bonded after that. Right. But it, it definitely brought us closer together. We were both able to open up to each other about a lot of things. You guys talked for two months. Was there ever like an official act that made you guys in a relationship or were you just kind of fell into, hey, we're together? He kind of asked me what like, boys do in middle school. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> he he literally yes no. said, well, <laughs> kind of, yes. Okay. <laughs> so here comes this guy who is a complete contrast from everything you've seen before. Um, were there any signals, red flags early on that maybe you ignored or explained away in your own head? The only one at that time that I noticed and the only one that I noticed now looking back was just him confiding into another female about aspects of our relationship. Just in general, I think that's something that's a little disrespectful. Right. But aside from that, there was really nothing else that was a red flag to me. So when you, when you say another female, you're talking about another friend or another person he was romantically involved in with a, a female friend of his. Okay. So he was talking to his female friend about issues that you were having in your relationship? Yes. Okay. And you knew that for certain or was this speculation? For sure. Okay. He told me. Okay. That was a red flag as far as your guy's relationship concerned. But, I mean, did he ever give any inkling that he may turn violent in the future? No, he didn't. Okay. Even when you think in hindsight, you can't think of anything? No. Okay. Tell me about Valentine's Day 2016. So Valentine's Day, him and I had had an argument about him still continuing to confide in this female friend. Um, And at that time, it just seemed like a small issue that we could work through. It wasn't up until Valentine's. It wasn't really anything worth ending the relationship over. But on Valentine's morning, we had had a huge argument about it. And um, I was supposed to be taking him to work that morning. He didn't have a working vehicle at that time or a driver's license. For some reason, I decided not to break up with him. That was that morning of Valentine's Day. You had considered breaking up with him, but you didn't. Right. What led you to the decision not to break up with him? I still was convincing myself that it was a small issue that we could work through. It didn't seem too serious. It was enough of an issue that it bothered me, but it was something small. I felt like there were bigger issues in a relationship that warranted breaking up with someone. Understandable. I think what I'm trying to get at, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, did you get the news about your son that same day? Yes, that evening... um, we had been eating dinner and it was just hitting my stomach wrong. Right. And he convinced me to get a pregnancy test after we figured out I was about three days late. And I was just like, no, I've been stressed out. I'm not pregnant. And he's like, no, right. let's go get a test. And I found out I was pregnant with my son that night on Valentine's Day. So Valentine's morning, you're thinking about breaking up with this guy. By that evening, you yep. find out that you are pregnant with his child. Okay, so what are your emotions going and your thoughts at that time? Well, initially I was freaking out um, because the pregnancy was not planned. I was still excited. A few months before then, I was told there was a possibility I couldn't have children because of some other issues. And 
Right. I was more surprised than anything. What was his response to figuring out that y'all was pregnant? His first response was to ask me to marry him. And I said no. Wow. Okay. (laughs) We had only been together for about two and a half months, less than three months at that point. And Uh I straight up told him that having a child with him was not enough reason for me to marry him. I got you. Was the issue that you guys had been having about this other female friend playing into that decision Mm -hmm. a little bit? To not marry him? Yes. No, not at all. Um, Marriage is something that I don't really believe in too much. Okay. It it wasn't anything to do with her. It's just my own personal beliefs. And then, again, I I didn't see a reason to marry someone just because we're having a child. Okay. Makes sense. Do you feel like that had anything to do with seeing your parents' relationship? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. So you tell him no, despite the fact that he swept you off your feet, everything seems pretty much perfect about the guy other than this issue with the female friend. You tell him no. Uh, What is his response to you saying no? Then he wants to start discussing my options as far as the pregnancy and not keeping the pregnancy or the baby. And that happened in a span of just a few seconds? few seconds or like a minute yeah wow yeah so wants to marry you one minute you say no now he wants to talk about options um right you told me something that you discovered later on do you want to go into that about because you said you were not expecting the pregnancy but that wasn't necessarily the case for him right he um eventually told me months and months down the line that he intentionally got me pregnant. What? Yeah. Without, like, so... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm not meaning to stumble over my words. I'm just, I'm trying to proceed with caution because I don't want to, I don't want to ask anything out of line here. Yeah. That, to me, seems psychotic. Yeah. When it registers in my head, I'm thinking, like, who who the hell would do that? And why would you do that? Yeah. Like, why it's would me. you? If, if this is too personal of a question, you just let me know. Were you guys using birth control of any type or contraception? I was not on. I was not on birth control at the time because I didn't have health insurance. Right. We were not using protection, but I had trusted up until that point. It seemed like the last few weeks before I got pregnant, he stopped pulling out. Right. Um, even though I had told him to and he promised that he would. Up until that point, that last couple weeks, he was doing it. He was pulling out, but then he just, for whatever reason, stopped. Did that bother you? And I I got pissed off every single time Mm -hmm. that he didn't. Then he would say, oh, it was a mistake. I got too worked up. I wasn't thinking. And then it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that that can happen. You know, um, and yeah, there's responsibility on my end for that as well. And, and I fully understand that. But it was multiple times. It was beyond just, whoops, I didn't mean to. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you would get angry, would he get angry back? About what? When you were angry that you said he wasn't he wasn't pulling out, like you said, like he said he was going to. Oh, he You got he angry with him for doing that. It. Okay. So there was not even a clue then that maybe this guy has a temper problem. He was able to deal with you being upset just fine. 
yeah, yeah. He he just acted like it was you know not really a big deal. Um, he he would apologize and just. How long after you found out you were pregnant did he admit that to you? Um, towards the end of my pregnancy. And what's the reason he said that he purposely got you pregnant? Basically to trap me. He admitted that to you. Yes. Okay. Don't wow. let don't let Chris meet this guy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chris, uh, don't I, do it. I'm 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 just trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to take all this in yeah. and understand. This is just me. Even if you were to intentionally do something like that, but like what would be the purpose of bringing that up in conversation? Like, was he trying to hurt you? Was he trying to get a rise out of you? Like, I'm trying to I'm kind of understand that like it just seems like a like a psychopath to me i think it was kind of just he wanted me to know the degree that he went to to i guess have this hold over me and this type of control right okay which chris you are correct that's psychopathic if not sociopathic like that is that is that's out there and it's hard to comprehend i don't I don't even know that you, Caitlin, could have a logical explanation for it, but all you can say is, hey, this is what his explanation was. Right. Okay. So. Wow. Okay, so you tell him that you're pregnant. He proposes to you. Mm-hmm. You say no. Yep. Now he wants to talk about you getting an abortion. And your answer to yep. that is. My answer was no, that I wanted to keep the baby. You know, everyone has their own personal opinions as far as abortion. And for myself, unless it's medically necessary, that's not something I would have done. Um, so I told Very him one well way or heard. another I was keeping the baby. Did his attitude shift once you told him that? Yes. Then he went back to being relatively normal, um, which I'm guessing looking back now in his mind was just like, oh, okay, well, since she won't marry me and I can further tie her down, she's still having my baby. So I still have this hold over her. Right. Yeah. Did you tell him? I'm going to step back. What was your reaction when he told you what he told you about intentionally doing it? Well, um, I want to start out by saying that I would, I would never regret having my son, but I was furious with him. I was so mad. I can only imagine. So mad. That's basically like him telling you that he purposely took control of your life in a way. Because I don't care who you are, when you have a child, like your life changes forever. And that's a decision that you should have the right to make mutually with someone. Yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So getting back to this marriage proposal, did you tell him later that possibly you guys could get married? Yes, after months and months of him basically begging me and trying to convince me, um, I just said, okay, sure. Um, but in the, I already knew that I wasn't actually going to marry him. It was more so just to get him off of my back. Gotcha. That's why I told him yes. Okay. The day you find out you're pregnant, uh, you guys are not living together at that point, correct? Right. Okay. Do you guys decide to move in together after that? Yes, I had quit my job um, the day before I found out I was pregnant, and we decided it was best for me to terminate my lease on my apartment and to move into his house. At that point, you probably feel like, okay, I'm pregnant. 
I'm going to move in. I'll be able to go through the process of pregnancy. We're together. I'm assuming he's offering to help take care of you at that point. So this probably seems like a good idea. Yeah. How soon after you found out that you were pregnant, did you move in with him? Uh, it was less than two weeks or about two weeks after I found out. Go ahead and tell us what happens day one of you moving in. And at this point, how, so, how, how far along are you in the pregnancy? I was around seven weeks pregnant, I believe, uh, when I moved in with him. I moved in with him February 27th, 2016. So this was a span of a week or two. Tell us yeah. about day one, moving in with him. Day one was the first time he ever put his hands on me. That's unbelievable. Do you, do you remember what that was about? We had had some type of argument, and I'm not too sure what it was about. I, I don't remember. But he had pushed me backwards into the wall and told me that he was going to take my baby from me and that I would never see my baby again. Jesus do fucking you, Christ. Do you know if he was speaking about once your baby was born or was he speaking about your unborn child? He was speaking about once the baby was born. Okay. So this is day one. Did you want to leave after that happened? I just kind of dismissed it as he lost his temper a little bit, and I didn't really think at that time it was a big deal. Right. Because there had been no signs up to that yeah. point. Yeah. None. How often did stuff like that happen after it happened the first time? Um, in the, the beginning, shoving. it was a little, it, yeah, it was just shoving, and it was pretty sporadic at that time early on in my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get the inkling that it might progress towards something else? Back then, no, I, I didn't. Okay. At this time, you hadn't contacted authorities or you haven't, have you, did you tell anybody what was going on? Like that he was actually putting his hands on you while you were pregnant? No, I didn't because I just talked it up to, okay, he's just, you know, shoving me. And initially the shoving wasn't like, seriously hard but then it was starting to get worse and I kept it to myself because something like that you you can feel ashamed of and I didn't quite recognize then in the beginning that it was still considered domestic abuse yeah and I never contacted authorities because I felt like oh well if he didn't hit me that's not a big deal right um so I just made a bunch of excuses about it and just dismissed it gotcha so if you if you were if you were giving advice to somebody who is currently in that situation, would you tell them like, okay, there, here's, here's your first major sign. Here's your first inkling of what's to come in the future. Would you call the cops? Would you tell somebody like, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm. Oh yeah. That- yes, I would. Because that first time, no matter how insignificant it may seem, whether it's them shoving you or, you know, slapping you across the face, it, it will always escalate to something far worse than that. Yeah. And so I definitely recommend calling the cops, taking it very seriously, even that first time, even if it seems like no big deal, like how I thought it was. Looking back now, that was the earliest sign. I should have recognized it then and not dismissed it. Gotcha. Hey, Caitlin, what was your relationship with your family at this time when you first meet? Uh, when you first meet him and you guys move in, find out you're pregnant, like, were they happy? Did they like him? Well, at that time, my mom and 
dad were living here in Florida, so my mom didn't really know too much about him, you know, firsthand, spending time with him in person. As far as my family in Texas, my dad and my sister seemed to like him. And as far as if everyone was happy for me being pregnant or not, it was it was kind of 50-50 as right. far as, you know, them being concerned and like, well, this wasn't planned. And then I had family that was like completely happy for me. Right. So that was split down the middle. Was what your family thought of him part of the reason maybe you didn't say anything? Like you didn't want them to think badly of him? Yeah, it, mostly because, too, we were having a child. Right. He's pushing and shoving you during arguments up to this point, but you don't get the inkling that it's ever going to be anything more than that. Can you tell us about the first time he actually hit you? Yes. I was about five months pregnant and he decided to take up a part-time job overnight stocking at a grocery store and his car was broken down. He still didn't have a driver's license. So I would have to wake up early in the morning to take him to work. So I'm driving down the highway with him, taking him to work and we're arguing because I told him, you know, look, I'm, I'm getting really tired of having to wake up early in the morning. You know, I'm exhausted. I'm nauseous. I don't feel good. You need to get your driver's license and you need to fix up your car so you can take yourself to and from work. Like, I'm, I'm just sick of it. The argument escalated until he was, like, directly in my face screaming at me while I was driving. And so I had gone to push my hand out to get him you know, out of my face and ended up slapping him or something. And next thing I know, I get punched in my jaw on the right side of my face and my head hit the window and I saw stars and my car swerved. And at that time I drove an SUV. So it felt like the car was going to like flip or something. Mm-hmm. So I started to pull over to the side of the road because I was going to have him get out of the car. And then I decided not to pull over. I got back onto the road because I'm like, well, if I pull over, I'm afraid it'll just, you know, get worse that he'll, he'll beat me up worse. And it, it was only about two or three more minutes up the road to his job. So I dropped him off and he had brought his bike. So he was going to ride his bike home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was the first time he ever seriously hit me. So you're five months pregnant and you're driving. Yeah. And he punches yeah. you in the jaw. And it was, it was probably like quarter to five in the morning. It was dark out. It was really foggy. And I hate driving at night and in the fog yeah. as it is. So I, I was already like a little tense while driving and then not feeling well because I'm five months pregnant. So yeah. you drop him off at work. What's the ride home like? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? I I had a hard time driving because I was so hysterical and upset and my face hurt and my jaw hurt. So I, I drove to a family friend's house and uh, she took me to the emergency room to get checked out. And what did they find out there about your injuries? Uh, they said he almost dislocated my jaw. Which I still so- have issues with to this day. So when you went in the emergency room, did you tell them what had happened? When I was being checked out, the doctor came in and, you know, I'm trying to crack jokes. I'm trying to be kind of lighthearted about the situation. Um, Uh But then when when the doctor asked me who did this, I started crying. 
and I told them, you know, my, my son's father and they asked me if I wanted to press charges and I said no. Can I ask, can I ask why? Because when I tried to push him out of my face, I was afraid that they would say, well, you made physical contact first and I just, I didn't want to have to go through that whole process. I, I did not want the cops involved. Okay. So, Caitlin, you don't want to get the cops involved, but you also, I mean, you can't just play that off like nothing happened. Right. What was, what was your next move? Well, I decided I was going to leave them, and the family friend took me back to the house for me to pack some bags and stay with her. Did you have to see him again the day that he hit you? Yes. He ended up showing up while I was packing um, and was upset and trying to convince me to stay. He was crying and I basically told him I'm, I'm not staying here with you anymore. I, I'm moving out. Seemingly you had a certain amount of self-worth that said to you, like, I don't have to put up with this. I'm going to go. And you actually left. It was that situation that made me realize it was domestic abuse. Right. That's when it finally, I guess in a literal sense hit me. You had enough wits about you at that time to say that's not cool. And so you took off. Yep. Okay. Uh, how long were you gone? And what was your relationship I, with him during the time that you were gone? I had moved out for two months. And during that time that I was no longer living with him, he was constantly trying to convince me to move back. He was putting it into my head that the people I was staying with were trying to convince me to hand over my baby to them or that they were going to try to take my baby once the baby was born. So that's when a lot of the manipulation started to get me to move back in with him. Was wow. there anything that happened that gave you the slightest inclination that these people wanted to take your baby? No. I'm, well, I, I don't genuinely think they do or that they did. They were very nice. They moved into a bigger home for me to have my own bedroom with them. And they were very caring. They made sure I had food, made sure I went to my doctor's appointments and everything. Uh, they really took care of me. Yeah. So what would he say to try to convince you? What was his logic and reasoning to why he felt like these people would take your baby? He, he was just doing it to convince me. And at that point in time, from a lot of the mental and emotional abuse that I had suffered, it was the way my brain thought was he was always telling the truth. His, you know, everything he was saying was absolute. And so I believed him. Yeah. Even though there was nothing that I could see in that household that was out of the ordinary or that these people legitimately wanted my baby, I still believed him because he, he was, he had me that broken down mentally. Right. Jesus. Because going all the way back to the day that he asked you to marry him mm -hmm. and you said no, I think when you and I talked before, we said to ourselves, that's probably the moment he decided he was going to have to tear you down to keep you. At this point, when you when he, he's hit you and you've left, you're, you said five months pregnant at that time? Yeah. Okay, so that's five months into him breaking you down making you feel like yep. everything that he says is truth. 
he somehow was able to convince you that these people who were taking care of you, these people who you said these were friends of your family, correct? Yes. Okay. So they have no obligation to be helping you, but they are. And he somehow is able to convince you that they do not have your best interest at heart. There was a lot of gaslighting going on um, that I was subject to in the relationship where he would convince me that something that happened didn't actually happen right. or he was able to alter my perspective of a situation. And when your mind gets so broken down like that, you take their word for it. You start to question your own reality or you just like say, Oh, well, you know that they must be right. You know, I, I took it the wrong way or I perceived that situation the wrong way. And so they basically tell you how to think and it's really scary how it happens because it's so gradual and you don't even notice that it's happening. And then even when you're in the middle of it, you don't know it's happening. It's not something you realize until you're so far removed from that situation. Yeah. You know, Caitlin, I consider myself to be a pretty smart guy. And the first time you used the word gaslight to me, I had to Google that shit. And I was like, because I wanted to know exactly what you meant. I was like, that sounds fancy. So I Googled it. And the definition given is to manipulate someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Wow. So give me an example of how he would use gaslighting on you. He would, you know, start an argument. The the arguments wouldn't always be physical when, when this would happen. They would just be verbal arguments. And he would say something, and then later on in the argument, even a few minutes later, a few seconds later even, I would bring up verbatim what he had just said. And he would sit there and say, well, I never said that. You know, you're, you're making things up. And then you're, you're questioning, did I even remember this part of the argument correctly? And then eventually, just something as simple as him trying to make me question something he said, it eventually escalated with the physical abuse where he would put his hands on me and then was able to convince me that it did not happen or that I I perceived it wrong or viewed it wrong. So let me let that sink in for a second. He would hit you and he was successfully able to convince you that he did not hit you. Yes. I'm just thinking about the level of control at that point are you even the slightest bit conscious that that's what's happening because it says you're questioning your sanity so are you even the slightest bit aware like when he tells you i didn't hit you and you start thinking to yourself did he not hit me like are you even conscious of the fact that he's trying to manipulate you at that point no like i said it's something that happens gradually over time they start with something really small right and gaslight you over it until it progresses up to something much larger, um, like the physical abuse. And I, I would sit there and be like, okay, well, you know, did this really happen? And and you don't even know in that scenario that that's what happened. Wow. They they literally, like I said, basically tell you how to think. That's uh, correct, man. That's, that's scary. That's scary. How long were you gone before you went back? You said two months? Two months. Okay. How was he able to convince you to come back? He was saying that he just wanted his family together. 
um, you know, that he missed me and he really wanted to be a father. Um, you know, he was also convincing me that the people I was staying with were not good people. Um, right. He said that he wanted to work through our issues. And, you know, of course, the promises that the physical abuse was no longer going to happen. Right. Was he ever violent with you while you were gone? Like in your interactions? No. Okay. No. Verbally or physically? He he would try to be a little verbally abusive um, through text messages. Right. It, there was no uh, physical abuse. I did see him periodically throughout that few months that I was gone. Not not frequently, but here and there. Yeah. Um, and he, he never put his hands on me in a violent manner during that time. So when he was convincing me to move back in, I believed him. Yeah, he'd all in all shown his uh his soft side again. Yeah. How long were you back before he hit you again? Um, probably a few days or like a week. Ah, damn. Ah, damn. How are you feeling at that point? He just convinced you to come back. Tells you it's not going to happen again. A couple of days later, it happens again. I I was so upset about it. I felt like I made a huge mistake moving back in with him. Were you able to tell anybody that it happened? There was close friends and family that knew about him punching me in the face, which is what led to me moving out. And, and those people also knew what was going on after that fact. I'm sure some of those people were telling you not to go back after the first time, right? Right. You go back, and a few days later, he hits you again. I imagine it's probably difficult to go back to those people and say, hey, you were right. I was very ashamed over the whole thing and and felt like, you know, these people are going to think I'm stupid. I didn't listen to them. I moved back into him or in with him. Sorry. And, you know, and a lot of people were just kind of like, you know, what did you expect to have happen? Yeah. I I can't imagine. So at that point, you just kind of feel like, okay, did you feel like you deserved it? There were a lot of times where I blamed myself um, mm-hmm. as far as if the verbal argument is what led to the physical abuse where I was just like, well, I shouldn't have had an attitude or maybe I should have worded that differently or shouldn't yeah. have said that at all. And I set off his temper and, you know, of course he hit me. Right. Specifically, when you went back after the first time, though, and he hit you again a few days later, did you take the approach of, well, that's what I get for coming back? I can't really go ask for help. I'm the one who came back. Was there any of that? Yeah, I I felt like I could not go back to the same people for help again because of a lot of the shame I was feeling. And people were kind of getting sick of hearing me talk about what was going on because a lot of people had that attitude of just leave right. um, and sometimes that's not always so easy so I, I started to feel stuck in the situation people who would tell you to leave would pretty much just leave it at that yes tell me some of the things that made it difficult to just leave aside from what we just talked about because you just came back so you're feeling ashamed but what are some of the other things that made it difficult to leave I was unemployed at the time So I had no source of income and because I was 
so late in my pregnancy at this point. I was around seven months pregnant when I moved back in with him. So no one's going to hire you when you're two months from giving birth. You know, I was behind on payments for my car because he was the one in control of the finances because he was the one working. What he was doing was he would pay my car note or pay my car insurance, which was something we agreed on prior to me moving in with him. Um, we would get into an argument, he'd get pissed off, and he would call his bank to have the payments canceled. So during this time, which I did not find out until after my son was born, I didn't know I was driving around without insurance and with my car not being paid, and essentially it could have been repoed at any time. Okay. So I And I had no money. I could not get an apartment. I didn't have a whole lot of family support because they they all had their own things going on. So I had I had nowhere to go and no money. Right. So he's pretty much got control of you physically, mentally, financially. You were bound there. Yeah. Before we get to the incident that became the breaking point, how often was he abusing you from that point on? Um, every few days. And I imagine it was gradually getting worse? Yeah. Are there any particular instances in between that stand out to you? Well, it was probably a few months after I had my son. Um, we had had an argument. Again, I don't remember the details. A lot of the details of our arguments kind of blur together. Right. Because the arguments were so constant. Um, and I had had a C-section when I had my son because I wanted to prevent transmission of the HSV. Right. my son. Right. So I had a C-section. He picked me up with our, you know, face-to-face and slammed me over the back of the couch. So my oh. head was on the cushions and my feet were dangling on the floor. And we did not have one of those super soft, fluffy couches. It was one of those really cheap couches where, like, the back part is kind of hard. Yeah. Um, so right in the middle of my back over the back of the couch. Caitlin, so that the audience can kind of get a mental picture, can you tell me how tall you are and how much you weigh? I am five foot three, and at that time I was probably around 120 pounds. How tall is he and how much does he weigh at this time? He is six foot, and he was probably around 135, 140. Significantly bigger than you, though, as far as height and strength, obviously. Yes. So you still have sutures, I'm assuming, from your C-section? The sutures were taken out the day I was released from the hospital, but I was having some issues with internal swelling at that time. Okay. Um, You're not supposed to really do a whole lot physically after a C-section. Right. And because I was, I was having a lot of swelling issues. So my recovery went on until my son was around four months old. So I was still healing and in a lot of pain yeah. from the C-section at this time when this happened. Jesus, man. So he picked you up and he threw you over the couch. Did he hit you after that? Um, he pulled me off the couch and I think, I think I fell on the ground. I know he pulled me off. I don't remember if I was able to touch my footing or not. Um, and then he went into our back room. Where was your son? My son was in his swing in that same room, in the living room. So the baby being there did not 
dissuade him from picking you up and throwing you at all. He didn't care. By the time we're here, like, is he still convincing you in between that he loves you, that you're beautiful? Is he, like, how is he keeping you engaged at this point? During this point, there there was not any of that. He He completely stopped with all of that. I think my mind was so broken down at that point that he didn't need to do that anymore. Did you believe you loved him? At that time, I thought that I did. I'm not sure. Looking back, it's like, well, how can you? I, I, I don't know that I ever actually really thought about it back then. Kind of a blur. <laughs> yeah. Did he abuse you sexually? He would try to convince me uh, or, like, pressure me to the point of him almost begging me. Um, in the beginning of my pregnancy to have sex with him. So during my first trimester, you know, I was sick to my stomach a lot. I was tired, you know, typically normal with first trimester. Um, right. And so I eventually gave in to him one night. This was early on in my pregnancy. I was maybe about eight weeks along. And I told him, you know, just go easy on me. You know, I'm not feeling well tonight. And I said yes just to shut him up basically yeah. and get him off my back about it. Right. And he was not gentle at all. And I kept trying to tell him like, can you please like go easy on me or slow down? Like you're being way too rough. And it, he just didn't care. And when he was finished, um, I was bleeding. Cool. I, I thought I was miscarrying. While that's going on, you're asking him to ease up. But at any point, did you ever tell him to actually stop? No, I didn't. Were you afraid to say stop? I was afraid to um, because he was already being aggressive in that moment. Either at that time or now when you think about it, even though technically you consented, do you feel like he raped you? Yes and no. Um no, because I did consent to it, but I also really didn't want it. Right. And he was not listening to me when I was telling him, you know, to, to go easier on me because I was not feeling good and it was a little painful. Okay. So at this point, you got zero inkling that he really cares about you. Did you feel like you deserved love? At that time? I did. Mostly because I I went back and he was able to convince me that I did. Okay. So he would convince you that you needed love, but you just weren't getting it from him. At this time, you're not working. You're just uh, right. staying at home while you were pregnant and after the baby's born. Who are you in contact with on a regular basis? Like, do people know what's going on? Are they noticing bruises on you? A lot of people knew what was going on. Um, my entire family knew. Um, a lot of my close friends knew, but those close friends lived in Florida. And I obviously did not live in Florida at that time. Right. And there was a group of girls that I was part of. Um, they were all unwed mothers. And I basically joined that group because you get, like, baby clothes and, you know, 
stuff like that. And I needed help with that stuff. So I, I joined that group and I was mm-hmm. always talking to them about it. And they basically just told me to shut up that they were sick of hearing about it. And if I didn't want to deal with it anymore, I should just leave. And then that was it. How do you feel about that now that that's how they're, that's what, how they reacted? It's not the approach that I now take with people that go through domestic abuse. Um, it's, it's still something that's infuriating to me because there are ways that you can help somebody going through that just by listening to them. That, that's probably the smallest thing that you can do and to listen to them without judgment and just hear yeah. what they have to say. Is there any part of you that understands that they don't really understand what you're going through? So you know why they're thinking that way? Oh, absolutely. From from the outside, it just looks like that person is knowingly making that choice to keep tolerating the abuse and to keep going back. Right. But it's, it's hard to see inside of an abuse victim's head to know what's really going on. And your state of mind while the abuse is going on, that's something that you can't you can't see someone really yeah. going through. And that's part of the reason you're here is that we hope we can give some understanding to those people in addition to your story be an example for anyone who may be going through the same things. Eventually this does reach a tipping point. And if you will, I'd like you to tell us about the last time that he abused you. So the last time was February 27th of 2017. And that date is important because it's one year to the day that I moved in with him. And I had been back to work at this, at this point in time for about a month. I was working at two hair salons. And one of them happened to be about an hour or an hour and a half away from our house. And we happened to both have work at the same exact time that day, but because I worked further from home, I had to get ready sooner than he did and had to leave before he did. So I had asked him to watch our son while I took a shower. And during the shower, I can hear my son screaming and crying hysterically from the living room. And I hurry up and get out of the shower and he's in our back room, which is our laundry room slash where he keeps his reptiles and the door is shut and our son is in his swing in the family room, living room, and he's not strapped in. And at this point, our son's four months old. He's able to, you know, move his arms and legs and pick his head up and, you know, all of that. Right. So I confronted him and I told him, you know, Hey, I had asked you to watch the baby while I took a shower and you're all the way back here. He's been screaming or crying. I've been hearing him crying for minutes now and, and you haven't done anything or checked on him. And that started an argument. Eventually we ended up from the bathroom to our bedroom and the way our bedroom was set up, the bed was, parallel to the door to get in there and he's kind of sitting on the edge of the bed and I'm standing a few inches into the doorway a few weeks before this there had been an argument I was at work he found a condom in our dryer 
and accused me of cheating on him. And I basically told him, I, I don't wear a condom. I don't have the anatomy to support wearing a condom. Right. So it's definitely not for me. And this then came up during this argument on the day that this all happened. And he brought it up and he approaches me and pushes me into the door frame. And the wood around the door kind of cut open my arm. So did the metal piece on the door frame. Right outside of our bedroom door was a love seat. I was pushed over the arm of that, which really hurt. And then he proceeded to get on top of me. We fell off the couch. Um, our house was all tile except for the bedroom. So he landed on top of me on the tile. I'm then face down on the floor. And he sits his butt on mine and straddles both legs over me. He's on his knees and puts me in a chokehold and turns me to look at our son who is sitting in his swing, um, giggling and playing with his feet. And just before things start to go black, I'm thinking the last thing I'm about to see before I die is my son, which is the part that still bothers me to this day if I think about it too much because I, I really thought I was going to die. And I remember thinking, while this is going on, don't fight back. Because if you do get out of this, I want to be able to genuinely tell the police I did not physically touch him at all. I didn't even defend myself. You know, I still, my incision was still healing from my C-section. So, you know, don't, don't fight back. And I, I physically wasn't able to. And even if I physically was able to, I still wouldn't have. I was trying to scream for the neighbor um, next door and trying to like crawl my way forward and trying to get him off of me. And his arms came off of my throat and somehow I was able to get him off of me. I, I don't even know how I was able to get him off of me. And I jumped right up. I grabbed my son and my phone and ran outside. I had no socks and shoes on, just my son and my phone. And that was it. Was he running after you? No, he stayed in the house and shut and locked the door. Okay. Jesus Christ, man. Your son is still, I mean, he's four months, so he's not really completely aware of what's happening, correct? Right. Thank God. Yeah. You run outside and you have your phone. Where do you, where do you go? I mean, you, you said that you had taken a shower. Like you're dressed at this point. You just don't have socks and shoes on. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't run outside like a towel or anything. <laughs> okay. Okay. So where'd you go? His parents owned three houses in a row on that street. So our house was in the middle. We had a neighbor on one side and his parents lived in the house on the other side. So I ran next door to his parents' house and was just pounding on the front door to try to see if his mom was home and her car was out front, but no one answered. So I sat on the front porch on the ground with my son and I called the family friend that I had stayed with for those two months and she got over there right away and 
I, I told her to call the cops and she, she was basically like, you have no choice in this. I'm calling the police either way. And I agreed. Um, well, I was hysterical. Yeah. She, she was sick of it. Um, as, as much as I was not in the respect of like, Oh, I'm tired of hearing about it, but she was just sick of him putting his hands on me and felt that yeah, of course. this is finally, you know, this has got to end. And yeah. that's the point that I was at as well. So she called the police. I was I was too hysterical. I, I couldn't even form entire words at this point. So she's the one that called the police. You said you were banging on his parents' door, but mm-hmm. nobody answered. Was his mother there? Right. Like, should, did she know what was going on? Well, while we were waiting for the police to show up, she came outside because she saw the family friend's car parked out in the middle of our yard. Um, so she, she did come outside and asked us what was going on. I had told her what happened, that he, he beat me and strangled me. She proceeds to tell us, you know, oh, I'm afraid of my son. He has such a temper. Uh, she offers for my son and I to move in with her in their spare bedroom and, and says we need to, you know, get away from him and that she'll help out with the baby. This Did may you feel be- that was genuine? The, yeah. I was going to ask, this may be irrelevant, but did she say why she didn't answer the door when you were banging on it? She had said that she was working out in the backyard. Uh It was the reason that I got, I think she was in the house. She did not seem like she was working on anything in the backyard. Right. She said she was doing gardening or something, but she didn't have on crappy clothing or anything. She was dressed very nice. And right. had no dirt on her, just nothing consistent with what she said she was doing. I think she was just blatantly ignoring me, pounding on the door. That's insane. Their front door has a big glass uh, window in front of it, so you can see who's standing there. Right. So I, I think I was ignored. She said she was afraid of him, so it's yes. possible that she was just trying to avoid that confrontation. That's in, that's insane. Yeah. So for all intensive purposes, that could have been your last day on earth. You came that close. Yeah. And you would have had to do it staring at your son. Yeah. Who knew was none the wiser. So tell me what happens when the police get there. The first officer that showed up um, was Officer Hodges. He took my statement. Now, my son's dad had left our house at this point to go to work. Um, he threw my key ring and I think my purse outside and he took my house key off, but I was locked out of the house and he took off and went to work. Like, he peeled out of our driveway. So he bounced before so, the cops got there. Uh, right. Okay. So I'm sitting there talking to Officer Hodges. I'm explaining to him what happened. I'm still pretty upset at this point, but calm down enough that I can tell him what happened. So I'm filling out my statement. The police call him to come back to the house because they need to talk with him, of course. And at this point, I was told that he would definitely be arrested and that they agreed that I had been a victim of this domestic violence and and that he was going to jail. So um, he gets back to the house, and two other officers had shown up. So there's a total of three officers and three 
police cruisers in our front yard. And they take him over to one side and his mom goes over there with him and they're talking with him and he's writing a statement. And then uh, next thing I know, Officer Hodges is walking back up to me telling me that I'm also being arrested for domestic violence. What? Yeah. This is Hodges what? of Brazoria County Sheriff's Department? Yes, Brazoria County Sheriff's Department. And what's the reason he tells you you're being arrested? My ex had told him that I scratched him during the argument on the chest. And at that time, now I do get fake nails currently. Well, right. not with the pandemic and everything, but <laughs> right. I do get fake nails because I am a horrible, horrible nail biter. I have been a nail biter probably since I was four or five years old. And I will bite my nails until they bleed. And I showed the police officer, I said, it is impossible for me to scratch him. And that was the only thing that my ex had told the police was I scratched him. Mm-hmm. And that he was, he said the only time he laid his hands on me was he was pushing me, um, you know, in the chest to back up that I was trying to attack him. Did they search him for marks? Which was not true. They, they looked at him and took pictures, but there wasn't anything on him that I could see. Did they, I wasn't too far from him when they were looking over him. Yeah. Did they examine you for marks on your body? Yes. Um, they took pictures of marks on my left arm from where I hit the door frame, and they also saw red marks around my throat consistent with strangulation or choking. Okay. So let me make sure I'm clear on this. He gives the police a statement that you scratched him because anybody would just walk up to you and the first thing they do is scratch your chest. He has no marks on him from this alleged scratch. They search you and you have strangulation marks, marks on your arms, you said? Yes. Okay. It's evident that you've been physically abused. And the conclusion that Brazoria County Sheriff's Department comes to is that you are both under arrest for domestic violence. Yes. And where do they leave your son when they arrest you? I, I tried to get my son um, to go with the family friend, and she was more than happy to take him. But the police officers told me no and left my son with his grandmother, so my ex's mother. The woman who ignored you when you were banging on the door, yes. possibly pleading for your life. Yes. All righty. Way to go, uh, Hodges. Good job. Okay. Oh, good Lord. So you go to jail that night. It's important to say they, like I said before, there were three police officers Mm -hmm. and three cop cars in my yard. They did not search either one of us. And they took us in Officer Hodge's car. We were both cuffed in the front instead of behind the back. Um, And the other two police officers left. The one officer, I never got his name. The other officer was Officer Bustos, who was a close family friend of theirs. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, did your ex, the person who abused you, uh, had a relationship mm -hmm. with these officers? Yes. As far as I'm aware of, for sure, I know with Officer Bustos. Okay. So I'm assuming they filed a police report with all of their quote-unquote findings? 
yes, they took my ex's report and and basically wrote down what he said uh-huh. in his own statement. And then as far as my statement, they wrote down their own opinions about what I wrote in my statement. Wow. Which they're not allowed to do in a police report. They can only take what you have written down in your statement and, and write that in their report. Absolutely. They're not allowed that to is, form any type of opinion. That is 100% yeah. correct. All righty. Wow. So they put you in the same police car with the man who earlier that day damn near choked you to death and took you both to jail. And you get all the way through the process of being booked in. Like, you spend the night in jail. Yes. Okay. I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm hearing that for the second time, and it's got my blood boiling, man. Uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I, I really am. Because you asked the like, question. I don't, I don't know. You asked the question earlier, like, why didn't you call the police? Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Caitlin's not the only person who's had that experience when calling the police. It's infuriating. I think we can give a collective fuck you to the Brazoria County Sheriff's Department. Wow. When I was in jail that night, you know, obviously I was really upset. It was the first time I was ever away from my son. Um, And talking with a lot of the women in jail that night, there's probably about 20 or 30 of us in this area there was not a single woman in that jail that i spoke with that did not believe me did i word that right like they all believed me um a lot of women had been in similar situations that i was in and had been wrongly arrested for domestic violence when they were in fact the ones subjected to the violence um and everybody in jail and you know they tell you never make friends in jail but a lot of the women were really sweet um and when i just needed time to myself to there and cry and think about everything they respected my privacy with that and a lot of them actually gave me some pretty good advice about how to get out of this relationship yeah so at this point the justice system has massively failed you yeah i would say that's an (laughs) understatement it's massively failed you to this point and i would like you to tell us how it continued to fail you well the day that we were released from jail um I was picked up from jail from the family friend. My mom had posted my bond and we go back to the house and find that his mother is gone. So I keep trying to call her to get a hold of her to see where they are. Um, because I, I want my son back. Right. And she basically told me, you know, well, I'm not home and I'm not telling you where I'm at. You're just going to have to call the police. This is a woman who offered to take you in. Okay. So I call the non-emergency police number and they transfer me to a deputy who happens to be Officer Hodges, police officer that had arrested us the day before. And he basically tells me, this is a civil issue. I'm not going to do anything about it. And that was it. Eventually, him and his mother show up back at the house. And during that time waiting for them to come back, I remembered that he always left our front window unlocked. So I went in through the front window because remember he took my house key to get some things packed up for my son and I, but I wasn't able to climb out the window 
So I went through the front door after shutting the window, and I obviously didn't have a key to lock the door back. So when they got back to the house, um, it was him and his mother and his grandmother and our son, and his grandmother's recording them handing my son back to me. And that's when he realized that the front door was unlocked, and he asked me had I gone into the house, to which I told him yes, but I went through the, the unlocked window. So we decided to leave, and his grandmother got me admitting that on camera when she was recording. We leave. We drive. The family friend and I left. We drive back um, in front of the house a few minutes later, and there's the police officers there at our house. So then we wait up the road at the volunteer fire department because we had parked my car there so we could drive around in her car. Mm-hmm. And that's when Officer Bustos showed up and basically said, you know, well, he called it in as a breaking and entering, you know. Well, you're right, to right. And that's what he had told me. Um, I was not on the lease because I intentionally did not sign my name on that lease when I moved in, but I was still considered a tenant. So uh-huh. um, Officer Bustos did tell me, he, he did do this correctly. He, he said she's a tenant here. She lives here. Um, she could walk up to that window and throw a brick in the window and break it if she wants to get into the house. And then he said, you know, he said he no longer wants you living here. And since you're a tenant, you have 30 days to pack your things and move out. And then after that, you will be trespassed from the property. He wants you trespassed. So he was trying to have me arrested again less than 24 hours after having been arrested the day before. For getting nearly choked Jeez. to death. All righty. So, well, at least this yeah. Busco guy got one thing right, and he didn't arrest you for breaking into your own house. Yeah. So you're arrested for domestic violence, nearly arrested for breaking and entering into your own home, and then a district attorney decides to indict you, correct? Yeah. On what? Domestic violence. We were both charged with uh, the Class A misdemeanor uh, assault, family violence, or whatever it was. I can't remember the official wording of that charge, but just below a felony. Right. So you now have to go to court and defend yourself against the domestic violence and family violence charge. Yeah. Did you have to get a lawyer? Um, during that time before the charges were formally filed against me, I was out on bail Mm -hmm. and he began stalking and harassing me. Oh, so I, yeah, so I, I had to move to Florida to live with my mom and stepdad because it was getting out of control. I would be at the gas station or something and he would text me. I, I see that you're out driving around and you, you don't have insurance. So I was, in Florida by that time. Wow. But when I was initially arrested, I had done the paperwork for a public defender. And this charge carried up to a year in jail. So, I, you know, I wanted to do everything possible to avoid going to jail. You know, I have mm-hmm. a son and jail's just not the place for me. Right. And Especially so I talked about done nothing wrong. Exactly. Yeah. I was so afraid of ending up in jail for something that I didn't do. I mean, and rightfully so. That's in like pure insanity is it even conceivable like are you thinking to yourself surely when i get to court i'll be able to prove that i didn't do anything wrong like are you legitimately worried that you might be going to jail i was um throughout the whole process the public defender that i was given had called me one day and 
for the first time and was talking to me about the case and basically said, oh, you're not very high on their radar, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I hang up and I looked at my mom and I said, if this guy represents me, I'm going to jail. Yeah. This guy's an idiot. You could just tell from hearing him over the phone that his suits were too big. You know, <laughs> yeah. good attorneys can afford to get a fitted suit. Right. Um, so my mom did hire me a hotshot lawyer from Houston. Um, and <laughs> even though I had a really, suits good, fit. really good lawyer. Huh? <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. She said a good lawyer gets his suit fitted. I never thought about that, but that is fucking hilarious. <laughs> if he comes it's in looking true. like Steve Harvey in the 90s, it ain't the guy. You're going to jail. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you hire a hotshot who knows his shit. Yeah. But you still have to go to court to defend yourself. Yep. All righty. So let's fast forward to that because you get all the way up to the day that you're supposed to appear before a judge at a trial, correct? How's that go? Oh, let me let me backtrack for a second for clarification for everybody. Sure. I when I moved to Florida, I did not jump bail. Um, my mom had called the bail bonds company to get permission <laughs> for me to move to Florida. Right. I realized I completely left that detail out. I don't want people thinking I like I ran think, away. I think like we're that. past the statute of limitations <laughs> either way, but it's good. <laughs> oh, definitely. You, you didn't definitely. jump bail though, for the record. No, no. Okay. So eventually my case does go to trial. Um, the prosecutor uh, was assigned both of our cases. We were both co-defendants because they brought up the charge on him as well. And I was able to get the hospital records invented from when he almost dislocated my jaw. Right. And the reason why my case was not dismissed early was she was really trying to come after me and tried nitpicking apart those medical records because... Yeah. In those records, it did not state him by name. It just said the father of my child is the one who assaulted me. And right. my lawyer told her, you know, she's only got one child and he's the father. So, yeah. I mean, who else could it have been? I think that was her only argument with everything and why she was trying to pursue, you know, this, this yeah. case against me. I was going to ask you, did it hurt you that there were no police records on file because you had not called the police the other times that he had abused you. I started to regret that when this court case was proceeding to trial. I was very upset with myself for having never called the cops. Yeah. Cause if you don't tell the truth at that hospital visit, then there's nothing. Right. So right. You, you didn't realize it till you needed it. You know, it's kind of like insurance. You never need it till you need it. But Calling the cops in hindsight right. could have could have saved you a whole lot of a whole lot of trouble. Of course, you don't know that at the right, time, right? Because yeah, well, and submitting those medical records to the court was was still kind of a risk. Like I said, because there wasn't a whole lot of detail as far as like his name and everything, and and because there was no police report with that, so it was something that was a hit or miss that they could have taken into account for the situation to show a history of domestic violence that usually they, they try to typically go with police reports as their, yeah. their trail of this happening. Let me, um, let me tell you what I've discovered in the nearly 36 years of my life though, Caitlin, despite what we may think when you do the right thing, eventually the universe or God, however you believe it, it comes through for you. There was I no way anymore. There is no way in hell 
after everything that you had been through, all that you had put up with, there was no way in hell that you were going to jail. Because, like I said, call it what you will, the universe, God, whatever higher being you may believe in was on your side at that point. Yep. I probably jumped ahead and I apologize, but obviously you're not in jail now. So (laughs) (laughs) tell me about when you found out that you weren't going to jail. I, my dad had taken me to court that morning. I had to fly into Houston and be in Texas for a few days. And obviously I didn't have a car. So my dad drove me to court and I just needed someone there for moral support. Um, My lawyer was late because this was not too long after Hurricane Harvey. He lived up in Houston. So, not everything was back to normal. Traffic was bad. And they did, um, I call it attendance in court, where they say your name and who's your lawyer. Told the judge, you know, my, my lawyer's late. He said he'll be here in about five or ten minutes. So we're sitting there waiting, and my lawyer walks in and walks up to the prosecutor while everybody's just kind of waiting around. And my lawyer walks up to me, and he's got a piece of paper, and he says, your case is being dismissed all evidence destroyed, you'll be able to get it expunged in a few years. And I, I started smiling like huge because I was really, I really thought I was going to get convicted of something that day that I did not do. Yeah. Why not? And my lawyer system had failed you at every level up to that point. Why would you not think you were going to jail? I understand that completely. I, I, my lawyer looked at me and he's like, Caitlin, quit smiling. So she doesn't change her mind. Turn around. (laughs) So yeah. I, he said it jokingly. Yeah. <laughs> so I turned around and I, I read over the paperwork and I signed it. And that was that. I gave him a huge hug when we yeah. got outside the courtroom, of course, um, and profusely thanked him. I imagine that had to be an extremely so what, emotional moment. You never went to trial. What did they, did they find him guilty? Like how, how did the trial portion go? Well, we had separate trials. His was, I think, the week before mine or the week after mine. I can't remember, but it was within a week of each other. Um, He had gone to court the day of his trial, and he had, I think, retained an attorney, so he did not have a public defender, but he he had an attorney he was paying for, um, and he decided to plead down guilty to just, a misdemeanor assault charge. So the only punishment he got was, I believe, a $500 fine. And that was it. Wow. $500. All right. That's that's what my life was worth to the court system. Yeah. I, I mean, like, obviously he didn't kill me, but it was just a huge slap in my face Yeah. for all that I had been through. And, and especially that last day in that household. Yeah. Um, it was, it was pretty upsetting. So at this point, what were the odds you were ever going back? Oh, I was never going back. I was already living in Florida at this point. I'd been in Florida I think about seven or eight months, yeah. even if for some reason I woke up one day and decided to go back, there's no chance at all that my parents would have let that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I never, I never woke up with that feeling of, I really miss him. I love him. I want to move back. Like I was done for good and I've never looked back. Awesome. Good for you. Awesome. So once you're in Florida, you have your son. Tell me about the process of trying to get back to living a normal life. Well, the first few months that I lived here, um, I was having 
extremely horrible and violent nightmares um, where I would wake up crying a lot in the middle of the night. It was hard to get out all of that out of my head, obviously. Um, so eventually I did start going to therapy and I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had to work really hard with my therapist at that time to realize that he no longer had control over me. A lot of it was still in my mind that he was this big evil monster that controls my entire life and every aspect of it. Right. Yeah. And it, it took a really long time to work through that. Probably about a year to get over the PTSD. Mm-hmm. Your relationship with your family, I mean, obviously you moved to Florida and you're with them. So how did it affect your relationship with them in any way, if it did? My mom and I are definitely a lot closer um, now that I live here. My stepdad and I are pretty close, really close. I mean, we live in the same house. Right. You know, my, my son loves both of them. My dad and I, we, we talk on the phone here and there. You know, he's, he's got a lot going on in his personal life. But I'm closer with my family now than I, than I was when all of this happened. You went through so long of being isolated from them. Do you kind of feel like you had to get to know them all over again and them you? Yeah. It, it took a long time for me to be able to open up to people again. I had to work on my trust in people. I had a hard time trusting people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, rightfully yeah. so. That's uh, the experience that you just went through is nothing short of freaking insane. Yeah. Even though they were my, they're my family members, you know, um, people I've known my whole life, I had to work through learning how to even trust them. Right. Yeah, of course. And, and I had to figure out as far as myself, like who I, who am I anymore? I, I did not know who I was anymore. And something like that definitely changes you. And it takes a lot of hard work to get through that and to uh, move on from it and to get it all out of your head. Yeah. How long has it been since that day that you finally left and then went through court and all of that? How, how many years has it been since then? Since leaving him? Yes. Three years. Three Just years. over three years. Yeah. Okay. What is Caitlin's self-esteem, self-worth, self-image? What does it look like today? It's pretty good today. I have, you know, your typical, you know, days where you wake up and you're just like, man, I look like I've been hit by a truck. But, you know, for the most part, I, you know, I am pretty good at not getting involved with people that aren't good for me. I'm much more self-aware. I have a higher self-esteem. I know what I deserve and I know what I'm worth today. That's, you know, the main positive aspect. You know, I'm a mother. I, I take care of my son. And, uh, you know, I think I'm a pretty badass mom and just living my life pretty much now. That's that's amazing. I was actually just going to ask you everything you've gone through in meeting this individual who became your tormentor. You know, if you never met him, you wouldn't have your son, though. Right. Do you find any peace in that? I don't regret the relationship with him because I have my son. You know, my, my son is twisted as it sounds, but it's kind of worth knowing him. I just wish that I didn't go through what I went through as long as I had. I wish I got out sooner. Right. Um, but there's, there's, I would not have my son yeah. without ever having met him. And so that part of it, I can't regret. Do you think you'll ever be in a romantic relationship again? I'm 
sure one day um, I'm still hesitant. I've had like two very brief relationships since then. Um, mm-hmm. I've tried dating. It's not really my thing. I've been single for about a year now, like seriously single for a year. Yeah. It's, it's at this point something I'm kind of wanting to avoid. I just want to get to know myself. Um, even though it's been three years, I'm, I'm still working on that part of everything. Yeah. Um, and just, taking care of my son. I'm, I'm not really in a big hurry to date anybody. Good for you. I think getting to know yourself really is a never ending journey anyway. So I think, I think you'll know when the time is right. When you've, yeah. you've been through what you've been through, you know what the not good looks like. So if anything good comes along, you'll recognize it pretty quick. Hopefully. What's the biggest misconception that you want to clear up right now to anyone listening who maybe has not had this experience or doesn't know anybody who's gone through this experience. What's the biggest misconception you would like to clear up about someone who's been domestically abused? There's a few. Um, so I'll try to condense them down a little bit. Um, Take your time. I would, I, I would say that the, the biggest misconception is that in a lot of these situations, it's easy to just up and leave. Um, and that's not always the case as there is, you know, financial abuse and, and a lot of the mental abuse that breaks you down mentally. But there's also the fact that 70% of all domestic violence related to murders occur after the victim leaves their abuser. So that's typically when the abuser becomes more violent. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a lot of people that are being abused physically keep going back. Right. There's, there's also this misconception that because we go back that we deserve it. We don't. It's not something that people actively seek out. I, I don't think anybody wants to be abused. I wanted to ask you, what was worse, the mental or the physical abuse? What do you think had the most lasting impact on you? Kind of both because my jaw is still messed up to this day, but it, it doesn't bother me a whole lot. Probably the mental the mental was the hardest to work through because I feel like you have less control over that initially. Right. Um, and, and especially the, the first year or so is the hardest to work past it, especially because of the PTSD and the gaslighting and the manipulation that happened. Right. Um, it, it takes a lot to undo all of that. And that's something that you really should have professional help with doing. Yeah. Wow. If you could talk to yourself, have like an out-of-body experience, go back to talk to Caitlin the first time she got shoved or maybe the first time he punched you in the jaw and you left, you did everything you were supposed to do and yet felt like you needed to go back. If you could go back and talk to her or if you could talk to any other woman out there who's in that situation right now, what would you say to him? After that first time, no matter how small it seems, it's just going to escalate and get worse. They're going to keep testing how much you will let them do to you, and they'll keep testing how much they can get away with. And that that first time is that red flag, you know, lights, sirens, that is your clue right then and there that you need to get out. There's no excuse unless if you are severely, like, 
needing to defend your life if it's a life or death situation. There's other than that, there's no excuse for anybody to ever put their hands on you. There's nothing you can say or, you know, to, for them to justify putting their hands on you in any manner. I, I would tell myself to just go and leave and, and you can figure life out and that you don't need to be with him. That, that was the, the biggest part too, was they convince you that you're not going to find anybody else that will want to be with you, that they're the only person that will want to be with you. And that's completely not true. Right. Um, he was messaging a lot of my guy friends, telling them about my HSV so that they would not ever want to be with me. And they were guy friends to begin with. And most of them already knew that right. from me telling them and talking to them as friends. Um, but he, he was just trying to make it where he's the only one that would ever want me. Right. And when they use that tactic on you, you know, there will be other people out there in this world that will love you. They are not the only person in the world. They're not your end all be all, especially someone that's going to put their hands on you. And you are worth so much more than that. Well, Caitlin, you are a living testament to this. I know I speak for Chris. Just when I say, first of all, bravo and congratulations to you for getting this off your chest. How do you feel? You finally spoken your truth. No longer like I want to throw up, which is <laughs> which is good. That's good. <laughs> I That's was good. nervous to start. <laughs> I mean, you know, I told you that, and and you guys said like I planned on making a YouTube video about right. it all, and and I would have rather had a bigger reach. Mm-hmm. So I feel a lot better getting it all off of my chest. This is the first and only time to date that I have spoken about this publicly. Um, without vague little details here and there. So I'm glad to finally get it out there and let people know what really happened. We couldn't be more honored and humbled that you chose our podcast to do that. Um, Absolutely. You couldn't have said it any better, Nick, like the, the amount of courage and bravery that it took to tell the story and not, not just to, you know, two guys that you don't know, but to the entire world, like it's, yeah. I, I, I commend you on that a thousand percent. Like it's, but I haven't spoke much during this podcast because my jaw has just been on the ground the whole yeah. time. It's like intense. I'm just, I, I, I'm truly speechless. You know, I, I said this before, like, we don't even know you that well, but I can tell you we're proud of you and we're proud to know you. And we thank you That's- so much uh, for coming and telling your story here. What I do want to say though, is because you said that if you could talk to yourself and if you could talk to anyone going through this, it's possible to leave. It is. And you being in that situation, you understand completely the feeling that it's not possible. In the times that I've talked to you, I know it feels like I've kind of challenged you on this a little bit. And I don't mean it in a disrespectful way. Because you feeling like you can't leave, I think you would probably concede this that's your own limiting belief though it's not actually the case and that's why you said you can understand how someone on the outside looking in can be looking at you and saying why don't you just leave and i understand they don't understand the gaslighting part the mental manipulation the part of you that just feels like you're not worth anything anyway there's nothing you can do right that's what you've been made to believe at this point for months But what you are, Caitlin, is you're an example 
Because all of those reasons you could have said, I can't leave, the day you did leave, those reasons were still there. But finally, you came to a point where you were like, no, I'm done. I'm leaving. Yeah. And thank God you did that before, before he finished the job that he started that day. That's the message I hope that anybody in your situation or in the situation that you were in listening today realizes like you can leave yeah. and it's possible. The day you left, you did what you had previously felt was impossible. You did the impossible and yeah. you left. We're thankful that you did. I know your son is thankful. Your family, the people who truly love you are thankful that you left. Anyone listening to this who's in that situation, now you're listening to a young woman who understands where you're coming from. She knows why you feel like you can't leave. Let her be an example to you. You can leave. You can do it. It's going to take some support, but you have it. There's people out there who love you and who want to see you out of that situation because they don't want to be going to your funeral. And that's for sure. What I like to say, though, is, is um, leave the situation, you know, save your life, and then you can rebuild your life again. Mm-hmm. You know, the, all of that can be figured out later. And, and that's essentially what I did when, when I left him. I didn't know eventually I'd be moving to Florida. I thought I would just be bouncing around from people's couch to couch or, you know, homeless or something. But I was able to figure it out. And, and it always works out for the best. For sure. It, it seriously does. Because anything's better than keeping yourself in that situation. It, that's way better than... Yeah. Caitlin, there were, there were higher yeah. angels somewhere looking out for you. So we're so happy that you yeah. are living the best life you can right now. I know there's only more to come. And once again, we're so appreciative that you came on and told us, told your story. Is there anything, I mean, you're bearing your soul right now. Is there anything else you need to get out there? Well, just that I appreciate you reaching out to me and, and wanting to hear my story to begin with. Yeah. Um, I told you I'm careful using this word. That I found your story fascinating because Chris and I have talked about this many times. The thing with true crime, people find those stories fascinating and entertaining. Right. That's not what I want this to be. I want this to be an testament of the human strength. We want to give you the opportunity once again to use this as therapy, finally getting it off your chest, and also to help anyone who may be in a similar situation. Chris, you got anything else? just want to reiterate how much I appreciate you coming on and telling the story. Like I said, it was gut-wrenching to hear throughout the entire time, but the outcome is just nothing short of incredible. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very glad and I'm very happy that things turned out the way they did for you. And the best is it, yet it to come, a lot of work. It, it took a lot of work to get to this point and to be able to talk about it sort of matter-of-fact. And, and not cry when I tell my story. So yes. anybody going through this, you will get to that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I also, even though I'm, you know, chuckling here and there or cracking a joke or two, um, you know, I don't want any of this to seem like it's glamorized or, you know, not, not taken seriously or anything. Yeah, um, just, I, I've been out of this situation long enough that I can just talk about it and, not really get worked up over it. So yeah. You've healed. Yeah. And that's I've an amazing healed. thing. Absolutely. Well, we once again, we thank you so much for coming on to all of our listeners. Thank you for hanging in there through this compelling story that Caitlin has told us. This is probably the most important episode we've done so far, Chris. And 
I could I, not agree anymore. I said it before. I'm extremely humbled that Caitlin came in uh, to talk to us and tell her story. So, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please reach out to us. If anyone is in a similar situation, uh, reach out to Caitlin. I mean, I, I tagged you in our Facebook post the other day, but I'm sure you'd probably be more than willing to talk to anybody who just needs a listening ear. If anybody yeah. needs to talk to her, just reach out to us. We can get you guys in touch. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. Once again, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Please follow us there. You'll find all of our content, links to our website, links to your favorite podcast platforms. We will be here every Sunday with a new episode. Caitlin, thank you so much. Chris, I miss you, bud. We did a good job. Oh, man, I miss you too, brother. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working with all we got. Yeah, so absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully this bullshit doesn't last too much longer. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I'm going to thank you one last time, Caitlin, so much for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. My name's Nick Stevenson. And my name's Chris Clark. We'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Smells Like Middle-Aged Spirit Podcast with Nick and Chris. For more show content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.